We're going to be starting a, a new series today uh, called The Big Five. And I want to take a look at uh, our values. Uh, now, these values are the things that drive uh, who we are. They drive what we're doing as a church. Um, we measure every um, program or every ministry based upon these values. Do these fit? Uh, does the program fit within the context of, of what we value as a church? We've had values now, distinguishing values for uh, a few years. Uh, this past summer, we went through, we kind of reworked them a little bit. The premise of the values have stayed the same. Uh, the language of the values have changed a little bit. Uh, and we've kind of gone a little bit deeper, a couple, de couple layers deeper in what these values mean for us as a church. And, and I want to address those. But before I do that, uh, I need to explain kind of this idea of values in the church. Uh, because there's core values in the Christian church that every Christian church has. Uh, if you look at, uh, we value the Word of God, we value prayer, we value worship. If you go to a Christian church here in San Antonio and they don't value the Word of God, you should find a different church, right? Because that's not good. They're playing for a different team if they don't value the Word of God. So every Christian church has a core set of values, uh, but those core set of values can also be distinguishing values. Uh, to give you an example of this, uh, if you go to Kansas City to the International House of Prayer, and uh, it, that is a church that values prayer, right? So uh, they have 24-hour prayer sessions. They, it's a distinguishing value. Even though it's a core value for every other church, it's a distinguishing value for that church. Uh, if you go to Hillsong out in Australia, um, they value worship. It's a core value for everybody else, but those guys are writing music. Every time I turn on iTunes, they've got another album out. They're pumping out albums like crazy. We all sing their worship songs. So there's an element of worship that is a, a distinguishing value for that church. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to explain here is that we have a set of distinguishing values. We value worship, we value prayer, we value the Word of God, just as every other Christian church does. But these are our distinguishing values uh, that I want to talk about this, this morning. The theme verse for this is Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, Daniel, is uh, this, he so distinguished himself among the other administrators and the leaders by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the, whole king, over the whole kingdom. So the idea here is that Daniel has this set of distinguishing values, uh, distinctive values that made him different, that made him stand out from everyone else. And for us as a church, this is our uniqueness. This would be the thing that these five values that we're going to discuss over the next five weeks are the things that distinguish us from other places. Hear me when I say this. It doesn't make us better than other churches. It just makes us different. You can go down the street, and that's what I love about the local church. There's 2,000 Christian churches here in San Antonio. You can go to any one of them, and they'll be different but we're all worshiping the same God, and they all function in a different style and different way. They have their own set of values, and we have our own set as well. Clear? We good with that? All right. Nobody responded. Uh, <laughs> yes? We good? All right. Uh, good. So our distinguishing values, our five distinguishing values are empowered living, transformational living, creative living, joyful living, which was evident on Friday night, uh, 
and generous living. So we're going to cover these five values over the course of these next five weeks. Today we're going to take a look at the first value, and those values weren't in any order of importance necessarily, but I would premise that by saying if we don't have this first one, then it's going to be really difficult to apply any of the other values to our life. And the first one is empowered living. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We believe that we are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. Like, we are it. He has empowered us to do the work of the ministry. He's empowered us, and by, by saying he's empowered us to do the work of the ministry, I don't mean these people who are all lined up here on stage. I mean us, the church, the people of God, those who would be followers of Jesus Christ. We are the ones that he's empowered to do the work of the ministry and take the gospel and be witnesses to people wherever we go. In your notes, uh, it says that we are equipped then by the Holy Spirit to perform daring acts of love each day. What does that mean? What does it mean to perform daring acts of love each day? The best example I could come up with, and and if you've read uh, many of the stories of the Bible, you might be familiar with this story, Uh, but it's the story of the Good Samaritan, right? You've got Uh, A guy who's beat up, he's been robbed, he's left to die on the side of the street. And Jesus is telling this this story, this parable, and he says there's a couple religious guys that come by. Not only do they just pass by him, they actually are on the same side of the street. They cross over the street just so that they can ignore him. You know, kind of like when you're down at the intersection down there and there's somebody asking for money and you're kind of like, you know, oh, i got to change the radio. You know, like... They're ignoring, that wasn't intended to be like a guilt trip, it was just an observation. That's what I do at times, all right? Uh, And maybe that makes me a horrible person, I don't know. Um, So they cross over the street and they pass by, and then Jesus says, but there's this other guy, this Samaritan, who absolutely would have nothing to do with this man on the street. He stops He takes care of him. He not only uh, saves his life, but he nurses him back to health. He gives him money to to take care of him uh, for, for a long time. That's a daring act of love. And it's a daring act of love because it cost him something. It cost him his time. He was on his way to someplace. It cost him his time. It cost him his money. He paid for this man to be nursed back to health. And potentially, it cost him his reputation, where now all of a sudden he's been recognized as someone who would help this man out. See, so daring acts of love costs us something. Otherwise, they wouldn't be daring. So what does this look like? What does it look like to perform, to be an empowered, living follower of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, looking for opportunities to to present love in this world that we live in, what are some things that we're going to have to apply into our life? The first thing is that we have to pray first in everything we do. The mark of a Spirit-empowered life is becoming completely dependent upon God. In John chapter 5, verse 19, the Son can do nothing by Himself only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So if Jesus, who we would all say is the model for all of us, 
if he would say, you know what, I've got to look to the Father and see what the Father does, and then I'll do that. If he's got to do that, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I need that too. That, that if he's dependent upon the Father to do the work of the ministry while he was on earth, we certainly are dependent upon the Father. We can't do this on our own. In 1 Timothy, it says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength. This is Paul talking, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was then poured out on me. Uh, It was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The reason Paul could do the work of the ministry wasn't because all of a sudden he just had the knowledge to be able to do it, but it was because of the love that was poured out on him. It's why, as a church, we, in August, do 21 days of prayer. In January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do this because we recognize that if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, if, if we're going to be an empowered church, we have to begin by being dependent upon him. We have to begin by taking it to prayer and saying, God, what is it that you want to do in the life of our church in the coming months? You say, well, okay, that's great. Why do you do it twice a year? Because that's about all we got in us, right? We get six months into it and we're like, okay, God, we need another fresh breath of what you're doing in the life of our church. So every year, twice a year, we step up and we say, okay, Lord, we surrender this year to you. In Psalm 121, 1 through 2, it says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, when I used to read that passage of scripture, I used to think he was, he was looking like to, to nature, to the mountains, you know, and thinking the Rocky Mountains and all of that. But really what this is in reference to is government. Because the government would always be up on the hillside. They would always have their courts placed up on the hills. So really what he's saying is, where does my help come from? Does it come from the government or does it come from the one who is the maker of the heaven and the earth? And can I just get, you know, a big amen that for us, I am super thankful that my help right now comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth, right? It doesn't come from government. It, no matter what the election outcome, doesn't matter who or what, my help doesn't come from that. It comes from the makers of the heavens and the earth. If we want to live an empowered life, it has to begin with prayer. It has to begin with surrender. And we have to say, God, I empty myself of me, and I need more of your Holy Spirit in me to do the work of the ministry. The second thing is that we have to pursue love and we have to desire spiritual gifts. Now, this is a very important distinction because there are some who would say, well, we just have to pursue love. And I'm not disagreeing with that. I think we should pursue love. And then there are some who would say, well, no, we just have to pursue the spiritual gifts. If we pursue the spiritual gifts, then everything else will work it out. But Paul clearly said, you really need both of those things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, it's the roadmap for this very uh, precedence. He, he says in chapter 12, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be, mis- or be uninformed. 
I want you to understand this. I want you to grab hold of this idea that there are spirituals, that there are these gifts, there are these things, tools, if you will, that the Holy Spirit entrusts us with in order to do the work of the ministry. Gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy, speaking words of life over people, that those are all spirituals that are entrusted to us. But there are some that would say, well, we don't need to desire those spirituals. Instead, they would say, well, uh, we, just need, we just need to love everybody. Now, there's truth in that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we've all heard if we've ever attended a wedding in our life, right? The problem is, is it's a little out of context because we always hear it in the context of, of, of two, uh, two individuals loving each other, and this is really in the context of the spiritual gifts. It, this is about the spirituals. It says, if I have prophetic powers, if if God's given me this gift, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so much so that I could remove mountains, but I don't have love in my heart, then I'm nothing. If I give all, if I give away all that I have, like if, if you just, the Lord compels you to just give and give and give, if I deliver my body to be burned, if I go to the Middle East and I say, you know what, I'll be a martyr for Jesus and I'll go to, to, the, to the stake to be burned, but if I don't do it out of a sense of love and compassion towards people, then it's worthless. You can sacrifice a lot, but if there isn't love in your heart, it goes on to say in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that it, it's just like, like two symbols clashing together. It's annoying, and it's loud, and it's pointless. Unless you're in a marching band, and then it's okay. It goes on in, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and he says, So, don't be uninformed. Understand the spiritual gifts, which we're not going to go into in depth today. We, we did a series on the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts a couple months ago. You can go back and watch that. Have love, and he wraps those two together. He joins those two in chapter 14 where he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Number three, If we are going to live an empowered life, we have to reproduce ourselves to fulfill the Great Commission. We don't have enough people who have taken upon themselves the responsibility to be witnesses to the world. There isn't enough. We've we've kind of, especially in our American culture, we've, we've relegated this responsibility to the professionals. So, well, it's the guys that get paid to do it. It's the ones that are up here. It's the, it's the ones that went to Bible college. It's, it's those guys are the ones that will be the witnesses. And I'm just here to uh, let you know that's not the case. It's just simply not the case. We have to be raising up more pastors. We have to be raising up more leaders. We have to be raising up people who are taking responsibility for other people. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, uh, this isn't in your notes, and, and they, they don't have it in the back, I don't think. Uh, I added it this morning. It says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So this is Paul. He's talking. Oh, they did get it. Very good, guys. Uh, so here you have Paul talking to Timothy, and he's saying, Listen, the things you've heard me talk about 
I want you to go find some entrusted people, and I want you to share the things that I've taught you with those people so that they can then go and share those with others. There's this progression. Paul is thinking generationally. He's thinking, we've got to make sure that this thing goes on down the road. It can't just stop with me. It just can't, it can't stop with you, Timothy. If you look at this in the context of the local church, you could say, well, uh, if, not that I would ever equate myself to Paul, but in this case, you, you come here every Sunday morning and you hear me teach things to you. So what I would say is, okay, now go and find some people that you know and tell them about the things that you're learning. They say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't have a college degree. I, you know, I, don't, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know that stuff that you're talking about. I don't know my Bible very well. I can't be going and talking to other people and teaching other people. And I, uh, to that, I would just say, uh, I don't want you to tell people what you don't know. Right? I mean, you, you can't. You can't go and tell your friends things that you don't understand or you don't know. Well, what we would want is we would want you to go and tell people what you do know. Has God made a difference in your life? Has God changed you? Have have you seen his grace and his forgiveness and his love cultivated in your life? Is there something of what God has done in your life that's changed you? If he has, then go and share that. Share what you do know about what he's done in your life. So if I were going to challenge us this morning, it would be to start living our life generationally. The work that God is doing on planet Earth right now, He is doing through relational connection. You had a college professor who used to say that there was a thread, actually I think he still says it, uh, there's a thread that runs throughout Scripture that says direction flows through relationship. And it couldn't be more true. If you want to see what God's doing in your life, surround, you with, surround yourself with people who are speaking into your life, who are, who are challenging you, encouraging you, and you will see God's will for your life cultivated through those relationships. He is saving this world through your connections, through your relationships, through your friendships. And here's the thing is you need to know that God has a plan for you. When he sees you, he sees the generations of people that you can have influence in. It's why we do step number three. We, we encourage you to go to step three of, of our life tracks and we say, listen, God has wired you. He has created you for a purpose, for a plan. You need to discover what that purpose and plan is and then make a difference with it. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And this is the, the challenge that the Bible keeps coming back to over and over and over again. Just a couple of weeks, Jeremy was talking about your grandma. I forgot her name. Myrtle, Myrtle yeah. And, uh, and, and he was talking about, he was talking about the uh, Christ-filled life and, and how amazing of an example she was to that and, and con- continues to be that. No, she doesn't continue to be that. But how she was that, that's awkward. <laughs> Did you mention that on Sunday? Yeah, I didn't. I was watching it online, so it was. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, now it's even more uncomfortable. 
feel like I'm getting all sweaty now. I'm so sorry I disrespected your grandma. The, the point is, is this, is that at some point we have to, we have to be the people that everybody else talks about. We talk about our fathers of the faith, our grandmothers of the faith. We talk about these people, and we have to transition to, to stop talking about those people and start being those people that people are now talking about us with. What, what does that look like in our lifetime? You know, people say, well, I just, you know what, if I was just mentored, then, you know, I would be ready and I would just say, you know what, if you're saying I need to be mentored, mentor someone. Mentor someone with what you know. If you feel like, well, I just need more information or more knowledge or any of those things, I would just say, just start sharing it and see what God does. Billy Graham was interviewed. He asked if he had any regrets in his lifetime, and he said, if I have any regrets, it's that I wouldn't have spent as much time preaching at the Crusades, and I would have spent more time training and equipping a group of people around me to do what I could do, to do what I know. It's the same for us, and I've been very, very convicted as we've been challenged in this, in this value that, that I'm not doing enough to invest and influence people around me. So if we're going to live an empowered life, we have to be willing to reproduce ourselves. That goes to our life group leaders. Look for somebody who, who you can just take one step with, who, who could maybe next semester lead a life group. Ephesians chapter 3 says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter, same chapter in verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, again, we can't do this on our own. He will empower us with inner strength through his spirit. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then in John chapter 14, verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, who, uh, in me will do the works I have been doing, and then they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. If ever there was a passage of Scripture that should mess you up, it's that one. That this is Jesus talking and he's saying, you know, I, I know I was laying hands on the lepers and they were getting healed and, and I, uh, I, I prayed for my friend Lazarus who was raised from the dead, right? He did all of these things and he's telling his disciples, but guess what? You're going to do even great, how could there even be greater things than that? But you're going to do greater things than even what I did while I was here on earth. That should like blow our minds. And yet that's the promise that he gives us. The fourth thing is that we have to prepare and release our church family to serve where God leads. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, 
and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. You say, well, what's that verse have to do with living an empowered life? Well, in the middle of this list of elementary doctrine, so here is being explained that this is like the basics, all right? So for us, we should understand at least the basics. And, and smack dab in the basics of these doctrines is the laying on of hands. And you say, well, I've heard of that because we talk about it at church. We say that the prayer team's available, that they'll lay hands on you and pray for you. Go to the elders of the church, they'll lay hands on you. So we're really not talking about that in this case. This is an elementary, basic principle that everyone that would have read this would have understand in antiquity that at the end of your life, there's a blessing that takes place, a laying on of hands and said, everything that I've done, everything that I've accomplished, now I want to bestow upon you, I want to bless you with, now I want you to run with it and even do greater things than I could ever do. There's this, this laying on of hands and this, uh, uh, not literal transference, but this blessing that takes place to, to, another, to a, a, a son, a daughter, a family member that would say, okay, now you go and do this. So at, at the very basic principle of who we are as a church, as, no, as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to, we're supposed to touch and we're supposed to speak life. We speak blessings over people. At the very core, of, at the very minimum, when you leave this place, we, are, we have a sense of responsibility to go into this world and, and to, to maybe not physically lay hands on people because they might punch you or something, but, but to, to lay hands on someone and to speak blessings into their life. How many of us would agree that we live in, the, in a messed up, broken, messy world right now. Here's the, here's the hard truth. It's always been this way. Ever since there's been sin, it has been a broken, messed up world. There's always been hurt. There's always been pain. There's always been wounds. There's always been brokenness. There's always been people who need truth spoken into their life. That's our responsibility, and you can even actually take that element into your home. We have a responsibility, and I'm, I'm as guilty of not doing this as any one of us in the room, where, where we have these kids who are, who are being raised up in our home. They're growing, and they're learning, and, and we should be, it is our responsibility, especially as fathers, to lay hands on our kids and to speak truth and life and blessings over them. In 1 Peter, uh, Peter 2.9, it says that you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are, you are a holy nation. You are a people that belong to God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you belong to him. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That is our purpose, that we declare the praises of him. In Ezekiel chapter 47, I put that in your notes as a reminder. This is something we've been talking about a lot. This, this picture of, 
that, that we feel like the Lord's placed on our hearts to just take our, our church, to take people that God's entrusted us with just another step deeper, just a little bit deeper into the river of this faith journey that we're on. What are we going to do to be empowered, spirit-empowered people? See, when you live a life, an empowered life, you have influence. And here's what happens in order for you to gain influence in people's life. I'm just going to give you uh, 10 things. I've only, I'm only going to talk about them for about 15 minutes apiece. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 10 quick things. These aren't in your notes, but you can write them down uh, in the space there. The first is that if you are going to have influence, if you're going to live an empowered life, you have to have integrity. You have to have trust with people. I was thinking about my kids. You know, people will do what you do. And, um, and I was thinking about this. And my son is, is getting close to driving age. And I was thinking, you know, he's going to drive the way that I drive. And that's not good. Uh, you know, it, of course it's illegal to be on your phone while you drive. And uh, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't broken that rule at times. And here I am thinking, okay, my son, I'm going to teach my son how to drive, but the reality is, is I've already taught him. If you don't have integrity, if you, if you don't, if people don't trust you, listen, you are going to reproduce for the Great Commission what you are. We have to have integrity and trust with people to influence them. The second thing we have to have is we have to be willing to nurture people, right? To nurture is to care, uh, is the care and attention that's needed for something or someone that is growing and developing. If you take this into your home and apply this to your family, you have kids who are growing and they're developing, you have to nurture them in their faith. They're not going to just get it. We have to have faith in people, I fail uh, terribly in the majority of these areas. Uh, the one area in which I feel if I had a strength, it would be in this. I believe the best in people. I have faith in people. It's probably a good thing that I do because I'm in the ministry of people. Uh, I'm in the business of people. But I, I believe that God has a purpose and a plan for every individual life. And it's to make a difference in this world. And, and I have enough faith to believe that even if you don't believe it yourself, I have enough faith to cover you on that. That, that God, it, we have to, because there's a special scripture that says uh, uh, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Even when you can't see it, I can see it in you. We, if we're going to raise people up, if we're going to live an empowered life, we have to have faith that God has a plan and a purpose for every person. You say, I work with a guy, there ain't no way he's got a plan and a purpose for his life. And I'm telling you, he does. He just hasn't discovered it, and you just don't have enough faith to see it. We have to be willing to listen to people. I'm horrible at this. I like the sound of my own voice. I like to talk. You talk to me about God, I'll, the Bible, I'll talk all day long. I, if they would give me longer, I would take it. 
But we have to be willing to just stop and listen sometimes. To be an influencer, to, to, be, to live an empowered life, we have to understand people. Ask questions. What is it that you're dreaming of? What is it that, that, that keeps you up at night? What is it that you're passionate about? What are the things that drive you? And it's, it's what we're trying to do in step number three, where it's like, okay, what is it that, that you are passionate about, that God's placed in you, that you enjoy doing? And then how can we help you make a difference? We have to understand people. We have to enlarge people. We have to help them always see the significance of their life. It is my job to remind you that you can change the world. I, there's times where I've said in the past where I'm like, well, you know, we've, uh, we're able to plant a church in, in Columbia or help plant a church in Columbia, you know, and I, I make a statement that I won't ever make again. I say, you know, we're just a small church and we're making a big difference. What that implies is that this is the extent at which we can do something. And I would tell you that this people, include, we'll include first service because they're all right too. We can make a difference in this world. We absolutely can. There's a, a church in Columbia it's a large church. They always give the opportunity, as we do, to uh, respond to Jesus. And when people do, uh, they actually uh, have them come forward, and, uh, and they usher them into a, a big, massive room, and they have, pe- they have staff there, and they're uh, taking pictures of them. Uh, they, they've just surrendered their life to Jesus for the first time. They'll snap a Polaroid over them, spits it out, just like the old Polaroids. They, you know, they're waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, their image shows up. And they also give them a Bible. And if you open up the Bible, uh, on the, the first page of the Bible is a picture of a person that's, that's preaching and teaching to thousands of people. The, the thing is, is there's no face there. And so what they do is, is then they cut out the face of the, the Polaroid that they just took, and, and they tape it into the spot where the, the head goes. And, and the first thing that people are taught is now that you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the ability to preach to the masses. You have the ability to change thousands of people's lives. That's enlarging people. That's saying you have the ability. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you can do abundantly more than you could ever dream or imagine. Not because you have anything in you, but because you have, or not because of anything you can do, but because of the Holy Spirit living in you. We also need to navigate with people. We have to be willing to to walk with people through this faith journey. It's not enough to just leave here and just kind of, you know, uh, share a few things. Uh, We have to really be willing to walk with them. Now, this is a little bit different than telling them how to live their life. I'm not trying to tell you to navigate people's lives for them, but with them. Right? There's old groups of sects of, sects of people who will say, uh, you know, this is who you should marry. You should do this. You should do that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, are we willing to just walk with them through this journey? And then we have to uh, empower them. What does that look like? 
Well, if we are living an empowered life, we are then empowering other people. And empowering other people looks like I do it, and then you do it with me, and then you do it, and I do it with you, and then you do it, and then you do it with someone else. That's the, that's the model of empowering other people. So if you're a life group leader, you lead a life group, and then you look for somebody, you identify somebody, and you ask them to come alongside, and they do that with you, and then maybe you let them lead the life group, and now you're with them as they lead the life group, and then you step out, they're leading a life group, and now they're looking for somebody else to lead a life group as well. See, our church is growing, and we need more life groups. We need more opportunity for connection, and that falls on me to be an empowering leader, to, be, to, to take this value that we care so deeply about and to make sure that we're implementing it into our life. I'm hoping, or I've got this idea that we're working on with the, having a teaching team and, and developing people to do more and more and empowering people to, to recognize and to discover what God has placed in their heart to do as a leader. And then uh, finally, number 10, and it's really uh, along the same lines, is just reproduce yourself in them. None of this is possible without the Holy Spirit. None of it's possible without a daily surrender to Him. If we're going to do daring acts of love, if we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to influence people, if that's going to happen then we ought to be on our knees and saying, God, less of me, more of you. Every day we should wake up and say, God, give me the eyes to see people the way that you see them. What would it look like if we went into our day saying, God, create a divine moment where someone's hurting and broken and they need the truth of your word. And all you would have to do is just say, hey, you know what? What you're saying about yourself, that you're not good enough, that you, you don't have it. Listen, I, you may not want to hear this, but I serve a God that would say otherwise. He would say you are good enough, that he created you for a purpose and a plan. And he'd say, I can't ever even imagine having that conversation in the real world. And I would say, then pray. Pray first. This last week, I had the opportunity to sit in my office, and I was meeting with someone who we've supported uh, uh, ministry-wise. And, uh, and they were hurting because uh, the, the ministry had hurt them. There's some false accusations and some things that said that were unkind. And, um, you know, and that's the thing is the church is made up of people and we fail people. You know, people fail people. Jesus doesn't fail us, but people fail us. And, and that's unfortunately the case of what happened in this situation. And and just as, as this person was sharing some of the things that were said about this individual and, and spoken over them, I just in that moment, I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to challenge those words. Now listen, it sounds like I'm amazing. I can assure you that more times than not, I'm like, um, that's uncomfortable. That's awkward, God. I don't know if I can do that. I would like to think that I'm getting a little bit better the more I see his faithfulness in this, but this happened to be one of those times 
where it was unmistakable. It was like if I didn't do it, I was like lightning coming down, something along those lines. I don't know. Probably not. But, but I just felt so compelled that this person was just, I mean, they were weeping because of the lies that had been spoken over them. And I just said, no, just stop. That is not how God's created you. That's not who you are. What would it look like if we went into our day looking for those opportunities? This one happened to just hit me in the face, and maybe that's what will happen to you. But I would say, what if we look for those opportunities to be able to speak truth and life and blessing just as a basic principle of what we're called to do as empowered people to speak words of life and truth over them? Could we do that as a church? Could we be known for that? Could we distinguish ourselves from all of the other uh, people in this world, believers, unbelievers, whatever, that we would be known at least for that, that we would be willing to lay hands on and speak life and truth over people as empowered living people. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Well, Lord, we... um, this is, this is a challenging uh, value for me. I, I, I like to think that I live an empowered life, but I know that I fail uh, constantly at this. And it, it's, I certainly slip out of this a lot. I forget. I know that uh, a lot of this, just this empowered living, even in our homes with our children, I know I, uh, I fall short uh, in that sense often. But Lord, I pray that as a church, that we would rise up, that we would be a people who live empowered lives. Not because we've got what it takes, or our church is cool, or our church is whatever. But we have the Spirit of the Most High God living in us. We have the One who created the heavens and the earth. And because of that, we can walk in the confidence and knowing, and the boldness, knowing that You want to speak blessings and truth and life into a hurting and broken world. There's about, a, there's about to be a lot of people who are really upset, who are really fearful, who are anxious because of an outcome of an election. God, I pray that we would be the army of people that would say, let me speak to you about the truth of who God is. We don't look to politics for our help. We look the maker of the heavens and the earth. If you're here this morning, no one's looking around. None of what I'm talking about is even possible without the Holy Spirit living in you. And, and what I mean by that is that when you come to a place of complete surrender to God, you're really saying, God, I've been leading my life and it's not working very well. And I need you to be Lord of my life. I need to surrender all that I am to you. And Scripture tells us that when that happens, when there is a a heart surrender to the Lord, that in that moment, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. 
I'm not saying it's easy to understand, but I, but I am saying that that is the truth. And so we have the Holy Spirit in us. And from that point on, you have the ability and the power and the boldness and the confidence to walk this out in your life. And so I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray with us here in just a second. And, and if you want me to include you in that prayer, if that's you this morning, you say, Ryan, I've never surrendered my life to God and I would like to do that today. I would like you to include me in that prayer. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. And I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay, good. Let me see your hand. Anybody else saying that today? Good. Well, Lord, for these two who have responded to you, God, this is a, a moment where where there's a recognition of surrender. And for the two of you that, that just responded, I would just say uh, this, that I'm going to pray a prayer. It has to really be your prayer. It's, there's nothing magic about these words. It's just the language for it, and, and this might help you with the language of, of what this commitment looks like in your life. And it's just something like this. God, I surrender all to you. Forgive me for going my way. Forgive me for trying to lead this life on my will. And instead, God, I surrender to you and ask that you would lead me and you would direct my paths today. It's as simple as that. You now, if that, if that is your prayer, if that's your heart, and you would say, yes, that's what I want for my life then there's transformation that begins from this moment forward. Now, you, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to be present in your life, to lead and guide you all the rest of your days. Lord, I thank you for these two who have responded to you today. That their empowered life begins today. For the rest of us in this room who would say we have a relationship with you, we've been following hard after you, you've been Lord of our life, God, I pray that we would have a renewed sense of an empowerment of your Holy Spirit in our life, that, that even for the rest of us, that we would just say right where, we're, where, where I'm standing, where you're seated, come Holy Spirit, fill us up. Fill us up again. We leak. We seem to, to, to need more and more of you every single day. And today, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us to overflowing, your word says. So that every step that we take, every, every place that we go in this world, you're there with us. When we encounter that person at work who's going through a divorce, and they're broken and they're hurting. They feel ashamed. They feel hurt. They've received the lies that they're not good enough. Whatever the case, that we would be the people that would say, can I just, can I just tell you what's true about who you are? Because I used to believe those lies. I used to believe those things. And I know now that those are not true. This is what I know to be true of you. 
This is what I know of how God sees you. God, let us be those people. Let us be a movement that would make a difference in all of the relationships that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.